Welcome back to QAV, everybody. This is episode uh, 535, recorded on Tuesday, the 6th of September, 2.25 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. How are you, TK? Oh, okay. In the wars a bit. <laughs> it seems like every time I record a podcast, I've got a litany of illnesses to report. But uh, no, I had a, had a skin cancer cut out today. Well, two. That's what happens when you get old, Tony. Yeah, I know. It's a wonderful part of life, getting old. Yeah, isn't it? So skin cancer cut out of your neck? Yes, and and a biopsy done from my forehead. I think I'm living too close to the equator, Cam. I've got to get back to Melbourne, back to Cape Shank. Oh, don't we all? We all need to get back to Melbourne. Yeah, less intensity in the sun. We should build the QAV um, compound, like the Godfather compound, but the QAV compound in Melbourne, just houses for all of the uh, people who graduate QAV. We just all live together. Big compound somewhere. Yeah, we'll do a Cape Shank. We'll make it like a Tahoe compound. Yeah, you know, just uh, start. Well, I guess we could just buy the houses. I, you know, I was going to say we'd take over a golf course and build houses on it, but you know, we're just. Oh, now you're talking. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> we just one by one, we buy all the houses at Cape Shank, and we'll just yeah. stay down there. <laughs> well, that's getting harder because they've all gone up in value since COVID. Uh, unlike our portfolio this financial year, let's get into the show. Iron Ore is now officially a sell as of last week. What a brutal, brutal couple of days it was for Iron Ore stocks in our portfolios last week. GRR was the killer. In particular. FEX was no good either, but GRR went from being a superstar to just, I, I think I sold it at a loss eventually. Yeah, I know we have a question about that later, so maybe I'll just keep my remarks until then. But it's a double whammy of the iron ore price becoming a sell and the reports that are, well, the company reporting at the same time that they weren't forecasting what people thought they should. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that later on. As you said, I found a an interesting quote from Buffett on something I was reading this week. It was some um, article about how he he sold out of Disney too early and lost $18 billion or something, but I think he's doing okay. I don't think he regrets it, but nice to know that even Buffett uh, makes mistakes from time to time. I think he's the first person to acknowledge that. But there was a great quote from him. It's good to learn from your mistakes. It's better to learn from other people's mistakes. Our episode last week I called The Quaverick. and uh, that's what I keep telling people. Like Tony spent 30 years making mistakes. We don't need to make our own mistakes over again. Let's just learn from Tony's mistakes and see how it goes. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> when we do the pulled pork, I'll confess to another one as well. <laughs> oh, yeah? That's yeah. good. I like that. I always like it when you uh, admit to mistakes because it makes me feel better about myself. It's ridiculous trying to hide them, right? Because apart from the fact someone will go through our disclosure list and say, hey, how come you bought this stock? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we get found out. But you've got to own up to your mistakes. Just own up to them, front up to them, move on. Like, don't worry about it. Every we're all human. Everyone makes mistakes, even yeah. you. We're not robots, and even robots make mistakes as well. Mistakes as well so, <laughs> yeah, the T one thousand didn't kill Sarah Connor. So there you go. If he can make a mistake, we all can. Hey, um, I wanted to ask you some questions. These aren't in the notes. I just came up with these uh, this afternoon while I was doing stuff. You know, we talk about down days and up days. We try not to buy something on a down day. We wait till it has an update. What about a neutral day? There was a stock I was looking at yesterday, BRI. It was having a down day yesterday. Today, it's having a neutral day. It's pretty rare that a stock would have a neutral day. It must be fairly thinly traded. Yeah, it's a small cap, 18 
thousand average daily trade, you know, but it, it's having a neutral day. Is that is that kosher then? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I'd still buy it on a neutral day. I think I can't recall much experience with that because generally the stocks are always in motion. But yeah. So I figure if it's not going down, like the reason we don't buy them on a down day is because, you know, we can buy it cheaper maybe tomorrow, but if it's having a neutral day, then that should be kosher. Well, yeah, and they might they might also be a continuing trend and we don't know what news is driving it down until we can do some research. So, yeah, there's all sorts of reasons for not buying on a down day. Well, there was another one I was looking at yesterday, LYL, Lycopedium or whatever it is. They're in the lithium business, I think. Oh, they used to be in the mining services business. Well, they provide services. They just want to contract to some lithium okay. miner too, yeah. They were on high on my buy list yesterday. They were above their 2BL. I looked at them today. They're having a down day yesterday. I looked at them today. They're having an up day, but they're now a Josephine, <laughs> but above their 2BL, according to the Bredelator. Pull up the Bredelator if, uh, if you can. Yeah, I've got it. It's above its 2BL, but it's below its last month's close. Yeah, so how does that make any sense? It's it's a Josephine, but it's above its 2BL. Yeah, no, that can still happen, and this is a good example of it. So its second buy line is based on its highest peak and, and last highest peak, and then uh, but it closed last month at 655 and it's 640 today. So we say that if something has become a Josephine, we don't buy it until it's crossed its 2BL, but this is simultaneous. This is another Schrodinger. This is a double Schrodinger. <laughs> it's it's above its 2BL, but also a Josephine at the same time. Yeah, I think I think it is because, um, well, if you look at the Bredelator, like the last leg of the graph is down, even though it's above its byline. So I'd still want to see that turn up. Right. So it needs a third byline now? No, it just needs to be above the last month's close and its second byline. So we don't need to do another byline that has that it crosses. Well, no, we, you can't because the the highest point is the rightmost point at the moment. Well, that's good. So I'll keep an eye on that and wait till it turns around. Another question for you: Rule one and dividends. So there was a, there was another stock. It was um, Gemworth, Genworth, I think GMA, which I had to sell from one of our portfolios today. But it was a rule one. But it had a dividend, but the dividend was paid on the 31st of August. So we're past the paid date and it's a rule one. But when I look at it, it's down 10% from the buy price, but the dividend was sufficient that it's actually only down 5% if, you know, if you factor back in the dividend. If I look at Nevexa, it says if you include the capital loss, if you add the capital loss and the income, it's, we've lost 5% on it. But well, we would still call that a rule one sell, right, if the price is down. Yeah, if the dividend's been paid, yeah. All things being equal, it should have recovered. So it goes ex-dividend, it goes down, dividend gets paid and the stock price should go back up again. If it doesn't, it's probably going to be in a downtrend going forward. Yeah, it was down again today too, so I felt comfortable getting rid of it. But I did think if we've only lost 5% of it because we've got the income, we haven't really lost 10%, we've lost 5%. That's correct, but the share price should start to recover once the dividend's banked. And if it's not, it's just not a good sign anyway. Yeah, right? that's right, yeah. Okay. All right, that's uh, all I wanted to ask you. Portfolio updates? Well, it's been a rough week on the All Lords. Crashed on Thursday and basically has just tumbled along since then, hasn't really recovered from the crash last week. The DP is up slightly for the FY, even after taking a hit 
from FEX and GRR last week, but um, we're still getting our asses kicked by the sexy 200 on a financial year basis. It's a rough, been a rough year for our portfolio. Well, financially, you were talking about, what, five weeks? <laughs> well, the whole, <laughs> no, the whole sorry, last 12 weeks. months, the whole last 12 months, we've been underperforming. I guess, uh, you know, I've had a bit of amusing about that, and I don't don't know if this will come to, to much, but if you look at the Nevexa portfolio, the dummy portfolio graph, you can see that it, if it was a stock, it would have been a three-point trend line sell back in the middle of last year, calendar year. So, uh, you know, the thought did cross my mind, what if you, we had have sold it, then gone to cash? and kept running a dummy portfolio just on paper to pick the turnaround and then reinvest that. I mean, it's, again, an added protection about losing losing money. So I'll have to think about more, think about that one more. It's a pretty big call going to cash, but um, it would have been the right one in this case. That goes against a policy of always be fully invested. It does, yeah. But as you pointed out, we've gone backwards since the middle of last year. And as, as listeners will know, from their own experience, we've been rule one, dom, rule one, dom, rule one continually. So it hasn't been an easy time to be in the market. And the market, yeah, we know the sexy is up 9%, 10% for the financial year. What's driving the all odds success, do you think, this financial year? Oh, it's, it's driven by a few big stocks just because of their market cap weighting. So we, we don't have BHP, for example, in our portfolio. We don't have CBA, we don't have Coles and Woolies. Maybe we do have Woodside, I think. So yeah, it's it's generally this will happen if you know a BHP and a Rio go on a tear, for example. They have been coming down. They should come down because of the iron ore price. But BHP did have a growth spurt when it repatriated back to Australia and ceased its London listing. So so I'm looking at BHP for the last six months. Six months ago, it was trading at fifty dollars. It's now trading at thirty seven. Okay, it's not BHP then. CBA. Six months ago was trading at 94. It's now at 96. It's gone up, come down, gone back up. What were some of the other ones you mentioned? Rio? Rio, yep. Rio, six months ago was trading at 120. It's now trading at 91. So it's none of those. Well, something's something's been driving the, the all hordes up though. Let me just see what's, uh, let's do a quick look at what, what makes up the top 20. See if we can pick it. But that'll be the reason. There'll be something large in the All Ordinaries, which is having a good run and we don't have it, which is fine. I'm not worried about that, Cam. No, I know. I'm not either. I mean, I know it goes in swings and roundabouts and we always come out on top in my vast three years of experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so BHP, ComBank are the two biggest. Rio, CSL maybe. Let's have a look at CSL. Oh, yeah. CSL's had a great run. 249 up to um, 294. Okay, so CSL could be doing it. I'm not sure when BHP paid its dividend, but that could be part of it too because we're looking, we're using the um, STW, which is the accumulation index. So that could be it. So it'll be something like, it'll be something in that list. CSL, NAB. I think we bought NAB, so it's probably okay. NAB went from 28 to 30. Westpac, I think, went down. ANZ probably went down. Woodside's been going up, but we own it. Macquarie. I don't know if Woodside and Macquarie are in the dummy portfolio, but I certainly have them. They're going up. And then you've got West Farmers. Fortescue's been going backwards. West Farmers, ResMed, Woolworths, Telstra. So Macquarie hasn't done much. Macquarie's gone from 175 to 178 in the last six months. Mm-hmm. Telstra's gone from $3.82 to 389 
not much. So none of the top ones seem to have grown a lot. As you say, it might be dividends, but um, I don't know where. It's, it's not the tech stocks. It's not the big caps. It's not our stocks. What the hell's driving your odds? Woodside's gone up a lot. Since the acquisition or demerger or whatever the hell that thing was? Yeah, when they bought BHP's oil business. Uh, no, it hasn't. Six months ago, Woodside was 34 bucks. Now it's 35 bucks. Yeah. If anyone knows what's driving everything up, let us know. <laughs> It'll just be a mix of those big ones, the big caps. Yeah, right. But, of course, what really matters is our long-term performance since inception, which is the 2nd of September 2019. Dummy portfolio is up about 15% per annum versus the benchmark, which is up about 6% per annum. That's the STW200, the sexy 200. So we're doing, still doing two and a half times better than the index over three years. So I'm, I'm not, not worried, not complaining, just wondering what the hell, you know, why stuff's going up, uh, well, the market's going up and we're not, really. Yeah, well, when stocks like GRR in our portfolio have the kind of a reversal of fortune I know. they have, it doesn't help. Yeah. It's shocking. Like all of our big reversals in the last six months uh, to a year have been iron ore. Remember, it was about this time last year that we did an iron ore selling. It was September last year we had to sell off all our iron ore stocks when the iron ore became a commodity sell. We lost a bunch then, and then we bought back into iron ore, and then we lost a bunch on it again. (laughs) (laughs) Might might be the last time we do that for a while. (laughs) Well, though, i got to say, looking at our top five stocks since inception, number one is C6C, 177% per annum in the times that we've owned that. GRR is number two at 138% per annum, even after its collapse, because we've owned it three times, I think. FMG, 87.7% per annum. CAA, 59.6%. And IGL, 59%. So four mining stocks there, two iron ore stocks, that we've taken a beating on, beating on at various times, but they're still two of our top five stocks. So you know we take a beating, but we also they've delivered very well for us over the last few years. So can't complain about iron ore, really. No, I agree, and that's I guess that's the perspective that we've had over the three year, and certainly mine over time is that yeah, you tend to focus on oh gee I could have sold out at dollar fifty and I finished up selling out at seventy five cents. So. You think you feel really bad, but looking back over the history, it works out. That's the thing that I have to keep reminding myself is it's it's the long game that we're playing here. Yep. And look, it's not perfect. I mean, if we can come up with a better way of doing it, then that's great. My, my experience is, and I guess I'm preempting the answer to the question here that's going to be asked a bit later, is that if you draw sell lines closer to the upward trend, invariably you'll sell out too soon and you'll have a second leg and then you'll have regret that you sold too soon. But if you don't, then you have what we have like now, Buffett which is Disney. opportunistic regret. I wish I had sold it when it was higher. So, yeah. So you're going you're, you're to have regrets. Yeah. Unless you follow rule 1.5, which is never look back. Don't look back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll focus on the long term as we do look at the long-term performance of the portfolio. Who was in that film? Don't look back. Uh, don't look back. Um, that's the Bob Dylan one, isn't it? Oh, no. Well, actually, what was the one I'm thinking of then? Yeah, it is. is that the Bob Dylan biography with Kate Blanchett playing Bob Dylan? Was that Don't Look Back? 
There was a bunch of people playing him, I think, and that I've never seen it. Yeah, you're right. No, that's not the one I was thinking of. What was what was the early seventies movies with uh, Negative Waves guy in it? Oh. It was <laughs> Don't Look Something. What's Negative Waves guy's name? Which uh... Donald Sutherland. Yeah, Donald Sutherland film. Oh, I don't know. He's made a lot of good ones. It was a it was a really trippy film about. I think he and his wife lost a kid and she went nuts and uh, there was a lot of surrealist sort of horror-y stuff. It was like one of the great horror movies. Let's see. I'm scrolling down IMDb here. Don't look now. Don't look now. I don't think I've seen it. Oh, I highly recommend it. It's only got a 7.2 on IMDb, but... uh, a married couple grieving the recent death of their young daughter in Venice when they encounter two elderly sisters, one of whom is psychic and brings a warning from beyond. Directed by Nicholas Rogue, oh. who did um, Bowie film. Manifesto Earth, yeah, yeah. So it's that kind of Nicholas Rogue. Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland, really kind of trippy early 70s, uh, surreal horror kind of thing. He, he was a really interesting director back in the 70s. He was very much so, wasn't he? Anywho, sorry for the uh, <laughs> yeah, don't look back. Rule one point five, I always say, never look, never, <laughs> never look back at the th- the decisions that you've made because you'll always beat yourself up. <laughs> Unless you meet a clairvoyant. <laughs> yeah, well, in Venice, yeah, in then Venice, that's okay. Yeah. Hubble bubble toil and trouble. <laughs> Beware the Ides of March. He also did Erotic Tales Volume Three in nineteen ninety five. I never got to see that one. I'll have to check that out. Nicholas Rogue or Donald Sutherland? <laughs> Nicholas Rogue, apparently. <laughs> There's no plot even in IMDb, so uh, no information, no synopsis, no one, no cast. Yeah, so anyway, there you go. All right, moving right along. What have you got on your list of things to talk about? Yeah, a few things here. We've covered the musing about three-point trend lines on the portfolio level. A uh, couple of just heads up, Santos, I did a download today to do the pulled pork. Santos and Woodside are getting close to becoming back on the buy list, so people can, can keep their eyes open for that. It's starting to rain dividends, which is always good, good time of year. So just as we spoke about before, add them back before selling if uh, because shares can, the price can drop. So, for example, JBH, JB Hi-Fi, would have been a rule one except they had a back of dividend and it's not, and it's been rising again, so that's good. And I shouldn't overlook the fact that uh, Mr. Warren Buffett turned 92 last week, the 30th of August. So happy birthday to Warren. Unbelievable. Still going strong on cherry Coke and peanut brittle. Every day, like I have a news alert, every day I it says Warren Buffett, I go, uh-oh, he's dead. Uh, <laughs> he's rocking along. Yeah, that's, that's always, it's always been an interesting thought of mine. I, and one of the reasons why I did sell Berkshire Hathaway eventually, I just – it's got to be a breakup play when Warren goes. It's just, it's a conglomerate, right? And some someone with a lot of money, like a private equity firm, will come in and say, I can get more for the sum of the, for the whole, well, for the sum of the parts rather than the whole. And I'll break it up and start selling things off. So, which may be a good thing for shareholders. But yeah, interesting thoughts on what might happen when Warren shakes off the coil. But he'll probably go for longer than you and I, the way he's going. He's just <laughs> unstoppable, really. Don't they have something in the constitution of Berkshire that says that it's going to be around forever and nothing can ever happen to it? I'm not, not aware of that, possibly. Okay, let's get back to oil. 
you mentioned STO before. Oil's a Josephine at the moment. Doesn't oil need to cross a second buy line before we can buy any of those stocks? Correct. It does. So, yeah, so you're right. So they're, they're close to coming back on the buy list, but we just have to check for whether the underlying commodities is a Josephine or not. So you're right. And very much so. Very much so, Josephine. Yeah, although the oil stocks have had a bit of a leg up again because of the, um, what's it called, the Nordprom gas pipeline shutting again. Yeah. And also, too, OPEC have cut back their production as well. So it's an interesting place for the oil market at the moment. Well, I guess that's been, I mean, it's just been such a rocky global climate in the last year that, um, particularly for commodities with Ukraine and with China and supply chains. I read a thing on an, one of the Reddit investment forums uh, yesterday or over the weekend. Somebody said, um, my father or father-in-law or something works in shipping, and he was saying all the containers are empty, coming going to China, coming from China, going to China. Just empty, nothing's going in, it's a big bad sign for supply chain issues. And somebody else pointed out, well, it's because China's in lockdown, half of it, they're not buying stuff and it'll, you know, it'll turn around the next month. So but I don't know, there's just it's too hard for me to unpick all of the macroeconomic events happening around the world. And that's why we don't try, that's why we just follow the the graphs. But you're right, yeah. So Woodside and Santos, even though they're coming back on the buy list, um, check the underlying commodity. Before you buy. Uh, moving on to an excellent article that your son Taylor wrote on Yahoo Finance that people can go on Google Taylor Riley Yahoo Finance. And he's talking about the snowball effect. And I'll just quote a little bit here. If at 20 years old, I had saved up $10,000 and put my money into a portfolio. If I also worked a fairly average job and only managed to save an extra 5000 a year to feed my snowball, assuming the 9.8% market returns for the last 30 years stay consistent, by the time I have my 51st birthday, that portfolio will be worth over $1.055 million. If I left the same money in until the average retirement age of 65, I would have over $4 million in that portfolio. So uh, excellent analysis from Taylor and shows the power of compound interest. And it's, uh, it's often wasted on the young, but that's the best time to start doing it. So hopefully he's taking his own advice. I think it's great that he's written articles like this. I, I, you know, a little, little bit of me hopes that I've had an effect on someone young like Taylor to do things like that. Oh, you may have had a small effect on him. Yeah. And when you say he wrote it, eh, <laughs> no, he did. He actually did write this one. I, I wrote one paragraph of it, the one giving QAV a plug, but he wrote right. the rest of it by himself. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, it is very good. And I don't think he listens to the show very often at the moment. So I can say that <laughs> I don't know where this kid came from. I think he came from you. I think he's your kid. Like He's in Sydney doing meetings today, cutting deals with people. And uh, you know, three or four years ago, this kid couldn't even uh, answer the door when the pizza guy was delivering the pizza because he was too shy and too uh, introverted. To even answer the door. Now he's writing articles, cutting deals, flying around. Where the hell did you come from, man? What happens? <laughs> what happened to you? I bet you were like that when you were his age. What, a hustler or? Yeah. Well, I, both. I was introverted and, and then became a hustler. Yeah, that's true. He's way smarter than I was at that age, but yeah. I didn't have Tony Kynaston as my uh, <laughs> mentor. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh dear. Well, I'm I'm glad that uh, it's it's seeping through because it's one thing to be told something, another thing to do it. So it's great. And he does do it. He he's got his investment portfolio, and he's sticking as much money in there as he can, and living as cheaply as possible. He, my mother gave him her old car when she won a new one in a raffle, and it's a 1991 Toyota something and um it's you know he calls it a shit box and he goes i love it everyone says all my friends are paying 60 70 grand for new cars and i'm like no i'm gonna just drive the shit box until it falls apart and invest my money so that's exactly what i did too until i was about 30 35 so yeah and loved it it was i actually quite got a kick out of going and buying an old mad max falcon and things like that that was great fun even though they, they were crappy and broke down a lot well, he, uh, when he was in the market for a car when he got his licence, we were looking at a bunch of shitty old secondhand cars and it was really f- hard to find one that was in his budget, you know, that wasn't completely a piece of shit and being sold by some dodgy guy. You knew the engine was going to fall out of it in a month, you know. So getting one that my mum had owned for 17 years and uh, I think it was her father's maybe before her too. I mean, no. I think, I think she inherited it from her dad when he died. But, uh, yeah, no, I like his attitude. It's not going to live cheap, live simply, and um, get rich by the time I'm 30. That's his mindset. Yeah, that's great. Very good. Well, good article. I I, um, recommend it for people. And then lastly, I've got to talk about uh, Stanmore Resources, which is my pulled pork today. SMR, Stanmore Resources. So it's on the buy list. Not to be confused with ASMR, (laughs) which is when people... Get up close to the microphone and they do this and they make scratchy noises and it, supposedly it turns some people on. But I don't I don't get it. It's just turning you on, Tony. <laughs> making me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't pay money for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, well it's it's, it's Can the you internet. do the whole Can you do the whole pork pork like this, Tony? Get up really close. Do SMR as ASMR. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just get, get, I'll get my box of tissues ready. Off you go. <laughs> so this is, this is the brain damage and filter thing that we were talking about off air. Yeah, sorry. sorry, as you were. <laughs> yeah. All right, so ASMR. <laughs> I'll do it in Morse code by scratching the microphone. <laughs> okay, so Stanmore Resources. A little bit of a background, had a big change in business in the last six months when they bought a lot of coal mines off BHP. And, you know, this is um, this happens a lot in the coal industry, and it's oftentimes driven by non-economic factors. But this could just well be the deal of a lifetime for a company like Stanmore, because I just briefly went through their results presentation today, and they say that they have debt on their books of about $258 million, which was used to finance the BHP acquisition. And in the six months since then, they made a profit of $232 million. So if they chose to, they could pretty much pay off the acquisition in six months. So pretty good deal. And and BHP were hell-bent on getting out of the coal market, not because they thought it was a good time to sell, but because they were copying a lot of flack from uh, investors and banks who wouldn't lend to them and things like that because of the the climate change concerns. So well done to um, SMR for picking up some resources on the cheap. Background for SMR, it's a metallurgical coal miner. So if you remember, there's two types of coal. There's the 
coal used for power stations, which is by far the majority of the coal mined. And then there's coking coal or metallurgical coal, which I think is about 12 or 13% of coal mined overall. And that's used in steelmaking to fire the, the burners to, to smelt the iron ore. So this is the, a metallurgical coal miner in the Bowen Basin. They already had some tenements, which um, they'll still continue to develop, but now they've got operational mines. So that's really boosted their operating cash flow, which is why it's hit the buy list um, after the, their latest results. One of the difficulties, though, with these companies is, is finding a five-year monthly coking coal chart. So I found a five-year chart at a, a site called barchart.com, but it's a five-year weekly chart, so I don't have a monthly chart. So if anyone knows of one, let us know. But um, Coronado is another one that's uh, been on our buy list and might still be there today, which uh, is a coking coal company. So finding a chart for these is hard. Uh, and that's, I guess, my confession about potentially making a mistake. Last week, when I bought this stock myself, it had um, just looked like it had broken through its second buy line. But when I did the research again today, it looks like it's turned down again. So it was just touching last week. But again, I was using a weekly five-year chart, so not as good as a monthly one. But um, I bought it and I'll, I'll hold on to it um, and use the usual rules for selling to see how we go. But it is actually, it's actually up at the moment, even though, as they point out and as Stock Doctor points out, the, the price in coking coal has collapsed in the last um, six months or so. It reached a high of 650 per tonne and now it's down to 250 per tonne. And in fact, this company is calling out uh, negative earnings growth of 18% for the next half. So they expect that, that they won't have another bumper half like they had this time. And in Stock Doctor, they've outlined four risks with the company, which I'll just quickly go through now because I think it's interesting to know the, the risk. The first one is the Met coal prices down. And having said it's down, it's still in the buy territory for us. And, and like I said, it's skirting with the second buy line. It just briefly crossed it last week. There's been a change in, in royalties. The Queensland government uh, have, are now charging coal companies, so um, that will negatively impact the this company. And the st stock doctor are quoting that there's a 40% royalty for prices exceeding $300 per tonne. So the price is below that now, so that won't be paid, but there still has been a general increase in royalties on a, a, a step-like structure depending on the price of the of the coal. They've SMR recently acquired the, the coal mines from BHP, but there is a second leg to the acquisition. So I think that they currently own 80% of the coal mines, but they um, have a deal to buy the other 20% for $380 million. So again, in, in reading the management's report, they're saying there's no problems finding the cash flow to do that, and they won't have to um, issue more shares or to um, take on more debt to do that. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV Club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc., uh, sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. 
And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style, but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, you know, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Um, check that out too. Um, it's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, uh, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-T. G-H-T. That's it. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. you find that on our website too. All right. Have a great week and good luck with your investing. QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions. 